Welcome, everyone, to a brand new episode of Tales from the Spinner Rack. It is our first episode back of 2020 of the new year. I appreciate you guys joining us this week as we review comic books that came out on January 1st, 2020. This week with me, we have, of course, um, we have Jay from Audio Ammunition, Corbin Ford from the Absolute Geek Podcast, and as always, I am Matt from the Absolute Geek Podcast. I do apologize for my voice. I am a little bit under the weather today. Um, I've had to, been fighting the flu since last Friday. So I'm going to try and uh, begrudge through this, but I'm going to go ahead and kick it off to Corbin to get us started tonight and kind of take the reins. Go ahead, Corbin. All right, of course. Um, the storyline is continuing what it was before for those who are the uninitiated. Someone has the Bats costume. It's not Terry uh, McGinnis. It's We're not, not sure really who it is. That. Um, it is a female, so Batwoman be Beyond is hence the name I'm giving it. Um, people are wondering who it is, so Bruce Wayne thinks that it's Barbara Gordon, which just feels extremely unlikely to me, given how old she would be at this point and just yeah. the acrobatic moves and the way she'd be able to take down crime. Um, um, Terry's brother, Max, thinks that it's Melanie Walker, who is uh, from the... She was like the Catwoman-type replacement for Batman Beyond in the Batman Beyond animated series. Um, she was 10, for the Royal Flush Gang uh, from the comics, from Justice League, Justice Limited, all of those shows. But she's kind of a, a plays both sides. She's been on a life of crime due to her family. However, you know, she's had this redeeming quality that's shown through times. And that's why Terry uh, Terry's brother thinks that she's Batwoman. I have my own theory. I don't think it's either of them, but I can't really spill it right now because I don't want to spoil it for others. Um, it's anywho, a theory. You're not spoiling anything by giving a theory, my friend. Except I know I'm right. How do you know so you're that'd right? Be a spoiler. I'm I'm a dedicated Batman Beyond fan. I'm, oh I'm the God. Batman legend here. Remember, I'm a, I'm a serious Batman fan. Just fucking. So, see, you got well, me. me you got me ruining the show with your your antics here. You listen, got me ruining listen. a family show. Listen, listen. I I, I you're right. a family right, show. You got Our me family. ruining it. Spill your beans. Well, let me finish the story first. So. If anyone's a big fan of the Image series, they remember that in season, I want to say end of season one, um, Blight, Derek Powers, the arch nemesis of Terry McGinnis, Batman Beyond, was seen uh, apparently dying. His ship sank to the bottom of the ocean or river while they were fighting, and he was having a nuclear meltdown and just bringing everything around him down. Um, apparently, though, he is not dead. He has returned. He has a containment suit, and he is back for revenge. And what I will say I liked about this series a lot is its callbacks to the animated series, which, of course, it should because it's completely derived from that show. However, the constant shout-outs and, and little homages there are, are welcome. And so he's returned. He's here. You have this Batgirl, Batwoman, who we don't know if she's had experience with Blight before or not. Um, fortunately, her suit has, like, an Alfred kind of AI, think, like, Friday from Iron Man, that is kind of telling her, okay, your suit's not built for this contain for this level of radiation, um, kind of tips and strategies and everything. It's Bruce She's Wayne, taking, Selena Kyle's daughter, isn't it? 
Yeah. And listen, I don't listen. I'm gonna finish what I'm saying. I'm gonna finish what I'm starting. You already threw me off. See, you're throwing off a great review right now. Anyway, the entirety of this comic is My pretty bad, much everyone. the two of them clashing. And it's really good. Like I said, um, the illustrations here are amazing. Dan Jurgens did a great job really getting the feel for each character in the dialogue. It doesn't feel over polluted. It is really nice, well-flowing story. Basically, also while we're talking about all this, we have to wonder what happened to Terry McGinnis. He had an accident. It's convenient for the writing, I will say this, but he has amnesia. He doesn't know who he is. Uh, he's basically paired right now with somebody who's street smart, who knows her way around, who's trying to help Terry McGinnis kind of find who he is. Spoiler for that, she does find who he is and then decides not to tell him. Why? I'll tell you right now. She actually used to be the former partner slash lover slash confidant of Derek Powers. Derek has his big fight with Batwoman. Batwoman finds a way to um, damage Derek's suit so that Derek Blight is compromised. So who does Blight call? The only person he knows left. His friend, who happens to be of Terry McGinnis. And Blight basically says to her, listen, um, I'm leaking out my suit. I need That's a usually what I say when I call a girl, too. Hey, baby, I'm leaking out of my suit. I'm, I, I, a family, family, remember, Matt? Family? Okay. Anyways, <laughs> your show's already been saying, thrown off the rails. You might have to it, it, it derail completely. Okay. Well, there you go. Anyway, he says, I need a human, <laughs> I need a human host to transfer myself into. And what does Blight's friend say? She says, Oh, I have just the person as she leads Terry McGinnis there. So all those plot threads are tying right now <laughs> between Terry McGinnis, finding out who he is. Um, Blight, Derek Powers, seeing Terry again. Who the heck is Batwoman? How does she tie into this? Will Bruce find out? You have all of these threads, and Dan Jurgens is doing a great job, not feeling like he's been stringing us along, even as we haven't got the answer yet for who this mystery Batman is for, I want to say, six weeks now, but it hasn't felt like we've been dragged along. There has been a, a coherent story that's been going along. We get Blight back, who is I think the best villain in the Batman Beyond universe. Um, hopefully you get some more development, some more fleshing out of him. And I, the artistry has, is amazing. Illustrations are great. I have one of the um, covers here. It's beautifully rendered. And I give this a five out of five. Completely love it. Good Lord. Yeah, I have a lot of energy for that. I'm sorry. I don't even you know did, man. That was I gave it a four out of five. Thank it was you. a good story, but it wasn't perfection. It wasn't worthy of a five out of five. But Batman it was a good Beyond. story. It was good. Good comic for the week. <laughs> Four out of five is fine. I, I can't get mad at that. But so tell us your theory here. You made us wait. It's it's oh. Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne's daughter, isn't it? That is one theory I was thinking of for a while. Um, only, but the problem is this, and this is where, like, I don't. Or it's Dick know Grayson and Barbara Gordon's kid. Mm-hmm. No, because didn't they have a miscarriage? I'm pretty this sure. This is that Batman they- Beyond, bro. Yeah, but if it's based off the same universe, then that would be the same thing, remember? Anything is possible. <sighs> okay, it's their so, miscarried baby back from the grave. <laughs> I mean, okay, I think okay, so I was I was leaning heavily toward Batman and Catwoman. Like they would put they would put um they would add a character that we haven't had in the universe. So, so far, what I've really liked about Dan Jurgens, he's went back to the roots of this and continued to go on with the story of um, from the Batman Beyond universe. So the characters, if you watch the show in any uh, connection, then you are right online with the comic series. You don't have too much to worry about. So that's been something I've been a fan of. 
However, the more I've been thinking about it, the more I've been wondering if it could be a new character introduced just to throw people off so we're not thinking of who we think it is, if, if that makes any sense. My theory, though, my true theory, does anyone remember Maxine yes. from Batman Beyond? Maxine Gibbons, Gibson, uh, voiced by Chris Summer in the show. Mm-hmm. I think it's her. She discovered a secret identity early on in the series. She's helped Batman in an Alpha-type role. Um, she doesn't really have family to speak of, so she can, at the end of this book, um, she goes to like <coughs> a hidden uh, place where she takes off her costume and you can't really see it. It's, it's shrouded in shadows and everything, which is, again, just perfectly done to kind of keep that mystery going along. But I think that is Maxine Gibson. That is my theory. I think it makes perfect sense. It would still go in line with the original series as far as a character that we already know and is not throwing us a red herring or anything, but it's not someone that's coming to mind immediately. And I think that's fine. I really think that would be a great um, addition to the Batman team. And she's already been a part of it. So who else is better qualified to take over that mantle in this role during this time than she would be? Also, the hair is part of the mask a la um, Batwoman. I think it's going to be, well, I would hope so since she is Batwoman. But no, like what I'm saying is like, it's not like that's her hair. Like Batgirl used to have her hair in a bun through the cow. It's part of the mask. Right. Like it's part of the, so it's not coming out through it like Batgirl would be. I'm saying like, that's not a given, you know? I I mean, I think it's going to be Alicia Silverstone. It's going to be Alfred's granddaughter. Dude, a family uh, film. Why are you bringing such temptation of Alicia Silverstone into this conversation? It's going to be a, it's going to be like Alfred's great. You know how many families she probably broke apart in the 90s in that Batgirl costume? <laughs> oh my god. No, I'm like probably just as many as the bat nipples. I mean, listen, huh, anyway. 5 out of 5. <laughs> I mean, it was good. It was a good read. 5 out of 5 is a little steep for my blood. I I gave it a 4 4.0. But I mean, you're you're the Batman aficionado, so you just spent I mean, twenty minutes telling us before the show how you rearranged your pull box to be nothing but Batman. I I'm all about it. That's kind of my thing. But no, seriously, think about it. And this is why I'm giving the five out of five, Matt, just to give a little more point. Dan Jurgens and this team have consistently pulled out good reads in this series. And this is a time where we haven't really had a lot of that consistently. I mean, you could probably name on one hand the amount of series that we've all read combined and we all read different types of books that we can go every week or every two weeks and go, wow, that was a good read. Wow, that was a good read. And that's what we're getting here. So maybe it's some residual, like I'm giving more of a, of a curve based off the experience of reading it over these many weeks. But that's why, because I'm starting to realize this is the standard now. Like if I get a lackluster Batman Beyond book, I'm going to be kind of shocked because I've been used to such solid, I don't want to say excellence, that's kind of a strong word, Matt, but solid reading, great artwork, a book I can pick back up and go, okay, this was still a good story and it holds up well while continuing. And that's like the quintessential book that we all look for, a story that can tide us over, continue this you know, ever-flowing story arc, but we're still satisfied at the end of it, yet still wanting more. Okay, I mean... Uh, that's that's just my thoughts. I am I'm tired. I'm fired up today, to man. I'm fired talk. up. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey guys, like, I'm sorry. Jay, I apologize. You just, I just, no, man. That's, you just, I'm at like, the bed. I'm chomping. You just wore me out right there, son. Like, good lord. I, I, I apologize. I'm running on on empty as it is, but you know that that just wore me out. You are fired up. I'm happy, man. You are fired. We gotta we gotta we gotta feed off of uh, Corbin's energy. Energy, let's go. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, no more. Gotta tap into that. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> that Corbin energy, huh? Tommy, yeah, man. we all need some of that. I guess. Mm-hmm. Corbin, what kind of crack did you smoke before we started? 
No, the vanilla Coke flavor. No, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. It's a family show, Matt. It's a family uh, show. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? Know, what's this crack talk? Jeez. <laughs> Sorry, this is carrying over from, from Friday still. I just, you know, we got a little crazy on the absolute show, and it just, it's just still carrying over. So, <laughs> you know. Um, well, you want to go next, Jay? Sure. Um, I, one of the books I read was X-Men number four. Oh, I read that one too. Look at that. And, um, for a book that's kind of been, um, okay. So I know Matt, you didn't, you haven't liked it at all since, since issue one, but I liked issue one and it's kind of gone downhill a little bit for me since then. But, uh, number four was actually, uh, pretty good. I thought, um, it's, was okay so i guess the um the mutants from from krakoa war were uh invited to like a united nations type meeting with uh like various world leaders and influencers and <clears throat> to just talk about um you know future world events and such and so people didn't think they were going to come and, and it was basically just like a like an olive, it, it was an olive branch that was extended, uh, and and that was about it. It was just a, a good gesture. Nobody expected them to come, but they did, and uh, they were represented by uh, Magneto and for some bizarre reason, Apocalypse and uh, Professor X himself came to this meeting, and um, it was very, it was kind of like a you know, very fancy, very. Um, it was like the heads of the Krakoan Council were going. Yeah, to this, yeah. This like, but I, I yeah, meeting. I was still kind of like, uh, um, taken back as to why they would bring Apocalypse of all people. But you know, it's like it's I mean, he's pretty much like a mass murderer. You know, well, well I guess you think of it, though. They just so they just were attacked on Krakoa. Xavier was just killed. And brought yeah. back. So they're trying to show a united, strong front, and Xavier's trying to show that, you know, you could, we're not you could afraid try and kill me, but I'm just going to come back. And yeah, we're not afraid. And they're bringing their, their heavy hitters, and they're, they're like, this is how not afraid we are of you. We've got the three most, most powerful mutants in Krakoa <coughs> sitting here right in front of you. And yeah, yeah, you're so, not so, stop us. So they, they went to that dinner. And that, you know that that fancy dinner, and they brought Cyclops and um, uh, what's his face Gorgon as like guards, and so they were in there and they were, you know, it was tense in in, in that meeting for for Apocalypse and and Magneto and Xavier and you know um, they they Professor X sensed that there was. A lot of movement from um, like the the from the bottom floor, but below them and the top floor above them. And well, because um, they have they have power dampeners on, so there's power dampeners all throughout this building, right? And but one of the dudes was yeah, that? Go ahead. Oh, Xavier can't read their minds because they've got like these these like nanites or something in their heads. And at one moment, something happens to where the nanites aren't active and. 
and Xavier is able to sense that there's a team above and below them yeah. waiting to attack him. So he sends Cyclops and Gorgon to go basically dispatch and, and take care of him. Yeah, yeah. They were, they were like these, yeah, like you said, they were these power damages, but one of the, the, the soldiers was like picking at it. Yeah. Or, some, or it was like coming off. And so for that second, Xavier sensed that and was, was like you said, was able to tell. And so those guys, yeah, like you said, the, those assault teams were dealt with um, pretty brutally. <laughs> and um, in that meeting, you know, they were, you know, the, the, the Krakoan council was not kind of was treated with some disrespect and some, um, some condescending attitudes and, and Magneto and professor X really kind of put them in their place. And the thing that I was thought was the most interesting about this was that um, Xavier still re revealed that he still has the dream of coexistence, which I thought was pretty quick. It was actually kind of cool. Cause you know, with the, this whole reboot of the X-Men, you know, you can't help think, well, gosh, Here's Professor X, and and he basically abandoned his dream of coexistence, you know. So and and that's it's kind of sad. It's like, well, there goes the one, the the one hope that everybody had, and even he abandoned it. So what does that say about the future of mutant and human coexistence? But he still he still carries that dream, and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I, I thought that the book, uh, the story flowed pretty well. I liked the art. There was a lot of sharp dialogue, especially from Magneto. Um, you know, the, people were asking, well, you know, how, how do we know? You guys are out there on Krakoa hiding. You won't let anybody in. You know, how do we know this isn't, you know, going to be war at some point? And he said, no, this is not going to be war. He said, we're going to do what you people do. We're going to um, take the money from the drugs that we sell you. We're going to buy your banks. We're going to buy your government. We're going to buy your media. And then we're going to take those that are against us and make sure they have no voice and no power and are basically uh, shunned from society. And that's how we're going to win, you know, if, if you mess with us. So there'll, there'll be no war, but, you know, we'll screw you in the end. <laughs> But it was great. I, I liked it. I liked the story. I thought the pace was great. Like I said, the art was awesome. Um, and um, it was definitely a, a kind of a light at the end of the tunnel, I suppose. They were, they the were kind of trying to call um, Xavier's bluff, too. They were kind of saying, we have, you know, we've reversed engineered our drugs and they don't work the way you say they do. Right. And yeah. Like they were trying to punk Xavier and Magneto and and uh, Apocalypse and I like the line in there where where the guy you know is calling Apocalypse by all his known names and he's like you can call me Apocalypse and that's all you need to call me yeah you know you're not fit to yeah. to call Speak me by other names yep. yeah <laughs> that's the thing about these X books is like this is like definitely the the main X title is definitely the most politically driven of, yeah of all of them. like if you're gonna see like the entire Krakoan council together. It's very politically driven. Yeah, it is. But it, it kind of, I didn't feel like it was too, like it had an agenda, you know, like it was pushed in my face. Did you, did you feel that at all? 
No, I felt like it was a good response to the the assassination of Xavier with him coming out and saying, look, being at the forefront, he's not hiding in the background. He's not in the back. He's right in the forefront. Like, look, you gave me your best shot. I'm still standing. What up? You know? Yeah. It's pretty much it's, <laughs> I like that. It's You're pretty right. much what it is. He's he's out in the forefront. He even takes he even takes Cerebro off and he's like, You gave me yeah. your best shot and I'm still standing. What's good? You know, and that's pretty much where it ended. And then it shows Cyclops and Gorgon just pretty much wiped out their entire army. So the entire yeah. army they had waiting to ambush them. So Yeah. It was a good read. I mean, for issue four, it was one of the better issues of X-Men. I, I feel like that's what that's one of the things that, that hurts this book is just how polit- politically driven it is. And I think that's why it's so it's taking so long to get off the ground for me. So it's but, dense. Yeah. yeah. So push back, though, hasn't X-Men always been kind of grounded in politics? Well, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But I mean, like, this is like where, where Marauders is a little bit more, they have an agenda where... Um, X Factor is more the same way where or X Force, whichever I can't, I always do that. I do, I, I always do it. Um, where they kind of push back, where it's more X Force, yeah, yeah X Force, right. where it's more like tactical team driven, or they actually have like Black Ops missions they're going on. This has been this book has been purely the political side of it. I see what you mean. Like each book has its own flavor, and the X Men yeah. flavor right now is kind of boring. <laughs> it's kind of like the the X Men book. The way I see it is the X Men, the main X Men book is the political drive, the political drive, and then your your branch off books like X Factor and Marauders, and um, well, not so much Fallen Angels, but those are the kind of like the re- the, the repercussions. Like, okay, this is in direct response to what happened in this book. Now we're sending our tactical teams out to handle these issues. In these other books, that makes sense. I get that. Okay, yeah. that well, well put there. But I give I give X Men number four three five. Yeah, I agree. Three point five. Those are kind of like. But um, let me uh, real quick. Let me talk about. I can sell you a body. IDW number one. I picked oh, this I up. Know. Each week, I like to pick up a random one off that I know. You know, most likely you guys aren't going to pick up. Jay does sometimes pick up the same ones like uh, um, Philadelphia and, and things of those. So I can tell you a body caught my eye. Uh, this book kind of, I can be honest oh, real with quick. you. Sure. I got a point how you had to make yourself seem so special. Oh, I like to pick a book. I know y'all not going to pick. You know, Jay's different. Well, no, it's you know, not being special. Really it's, it's just what are you trying to say? I'm too, I'm too tied down on my stand? Okay, I'm just kidding. No, it's just being – it's just variety to give us something different to talk about. Bad um, joke. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. You should mute yourself. If Kyle was here, I'd have him mute you. <laughs> um, So I can sell you a body. It's, it's, it's a book about a guy who's got psychic powers. He's kind of like this, like, TV psychic – um, he's got these basically psychic abilities to talk to the dead, and he also has a way to um, kind of put dead souls into bodies. And from the the gist of it, he's being hired by this group of people to try and put a relative, one of their relative souls, back in a in someone else's body. I don't know. I got about halfway through it, and I just I couldn't finish it just because like the art is really cartoony. And like mm-hmm. the use, I'm not an I'm not a normally like an OCD person, 
But my thing in comics is like the use of negative space on the, the page is a, is a big thing to me. And like, this is like someone took a comic book and miniaturized it. Like, look at all that negative space there. And it kind of like just drove me nuts. And it feels <laughs> very like, I don't, it almost feels very much like it's a, it's an, um, like local zine, like you'd get like local artist zine, you get off your comic book shelves. Um, I, I couldn't recommend it going forward. Cause like I got yeah. halfway through it and I thought the, the use of space in the pages were bad. The, the art in it wasn't very good. And, it wasn't and the humor wasn't even very funny either. Yeah. You read I, it. I, I picked <clears throat> like you, I, I picked it up. Um, I didn't buy it, but I picked it up and I, I read just a, the first couple pages and the humor. I'm like, Oh yeah. It's like, like I, you know, I, I was, some of the jokes, it just, a weren't funny. B I saw coming a mile away. And then I'm like, eh, I'm good on this. <laughs> like, like I was saying at the beginning of the show, like I've been, I've been sick since last Friday. So I've tried to read this book four times and I tried to read it an hour before the show. And each time it shouldn't I be can't work, get man. It. No, it's not. It shouldn't it's, have to be work. Where I was like, I'd rather be like fighting a fever than reading this book. So wow. I just, you know, it, I'm sure it has its audience, but its audience was, was not me. Yeah. Me either. That makes sense. Target audience wasn't hit. Like you said, the artwork is a major turnoff in, in moments like that. That did look a little wonky. I probably would have still read it, but I'm the same person who's turning down some pretty good X-Men because it's not appealing to me. So I'm all about that preference and understanding, hey, it's not your book. It is not my book. Corbin, yep, so I'm, I know I'm you've been waiting for two weeks to talk about this. So I'm going to give you your spot to talk about this. <coughs> Tom King's right. Batman run has finally come to an end. Yes. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So here is your platform to say what you want to say about that Batman run. All right. So having had discussions with you, Matt, and giving time to kind of look back and maybe turn off my raw emotion, it was worse than bad. It was forgettable. Um, And that is my final thoughts on that. It, it it was it, it's one of those books that I mean aside from maybe war on jokes um, and riddles um that's one story arc. I loved I am Gotham he started off with a bang in my opinion and then just kind of fizzled out the wedding will always live in infamy just for what it represents City of Bane might come up as some of the worst storylines ever especially involving a, a storyline that has a, a title villain who barely shows up and then ultimately is not even the main guy in his own story um. That's there. So that's a knocks on him. Also wasn't a fan of the way that they marginalized um, Batman in certain spots, character-wise. Uh, made Catwoman way too much of a major player in a Batman book for my taste, personally, and many others. But, I mean, I can go on and on on what I didn't like. What I did like, Tom King is still a, a, a good writer. I just don't think Batman was for him. I will always hold his vision run in high regard. Um, that was amazing. Just Batman did not click with what he was looking for. I think he's someone who's best suited for like a 12-issue maxi-series. Uh, coincidentally, the Batman Catwoman run that will be coming out this year seems perfect for him, where he has a taut little line where he can develop a story and come to a close and not drag it out, make a big move, don't address it, go on several issues, then address it. I'm talking about the death of Alfred. And and and, and it just kind of grind to a halt. 
ultimately ending with a book um, with Batman 86 that was very confusing to kind of get through um, in terms of how they handled the whole story and the needless retconning of events that didn't occur from the issues we actually read to make it easier to put plot threads later on the story. So all that being said, I just basically ragged on Tom King for about three minutes there, but I, I still think he's a good writer. I just don't think Batman was the right fit for him. Um, looking back on this, I'm going to remember Iron Gotham fondly. I'm not going to remember a whole lot of this run. I'm so, so excited to move forward with this. And um, if anything else, I will give Tom King credit. It gave me a lot of um, additional insight on other Batman titles to get my Batman fix that have been out. You had Batman The Outsiders. You had Batman Beyond. You have Neil Adams doing the Batman book, which is kind of forgettable in my opinion, but you have it. Um, you have, you know, uh, several Batman stories. I think there were seven of them to be exact, plus Batman and Superman and two others I'm not even reading um, to look at. And Detective Comics has been strong throughout. So I thank you, Tom King, for giving me the chance to look around and scan the Batman landscape and find other Batman titles that have got my fix for Batman. So let me ask you this. Playing Devil's Avenue here. <clears throat> So I think it's fair to say that you you would say that Scott Snyder's New Fifty Two Batman run is a quint is a quintessential Batman run. I will agree with that. I personally have a different taste on Batman. Um, I think Scott Scott Snyder did an amazing job. It's not the Batman that I. There were certain things. There were certain issues I have with it personally, but yes, I would agree with it. Critically, it's a good Batman. I can look back on it, and while not liking it as my own personal favorite Batman run, can say yes, um, easy hands down. Last ten years. So let's break this down. And Jay, feel free to chime in anytime you want here. Okay. Because I know you know your stuff. Scott Snyder, he got to create one of the most iconic <laughs> new villain groups of the last ten years in the Court of Owls, right? Mm -hmm. He got to do a Riddler story in Batman Year One. He got to do two Joker stories in Death of the Family and um, Endgame. And he also got to do another creative care, a new creative character, and um, I can't think of his name right now. That's how forgettable he was. The dude who planted the seeds. It was like his last villain. Um, Everyone thought um, it was um, the Joker. Um, 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 um. Yikes, now I gotta look it up. You said it was forgettable and you weren't lying. Um, geez. Mr. Bloom. I know he, Mr. Oh, Bloom. okay. I was about to say, I know he had a way, him and Tom King as well, Bloom. of taking little known villains and like making them important. Kite Man so, for him and others. Yeah. Do you think it's fair to say that Tom King's Batman run was bad because he was handcuffed? From one, being able to be as creative as Scott Snyder was. I don't think he was allowed the same leeway Scott Snyder was with this book. Hmm. And not being able to use the rogues gallery maybe he wanted to use. Why would you think that? Why, why, what I, makes I was, you think he was look, handcuffed? Scott Snyder got yeah. two Batman. Scott Snyder got two Joker stories. If you, if you look at his home run, who's the main villain? Through the ma the majority of his entire run, mm -hmm. Bane, right? Yeah, but is he? But is he? Well, no, no, no. Seriously, Bane and is, okay, Bane and and Flashpoint Batman. But that's the problem, and that right there is what you said. It's called City of Bane, yes. and Bane was one of the most underutilized characters of the storyline, named after him. He did a lot of behind the scenes stuff, and then it turns out 
oh no, he didn't even do a lot of it. Flashpoint Batman did. So I, I, I'll let Bane, you finish. Batman. The Bane but, stuff started at the beginning of the run, though, with the Gotham did. and Gotham Girl stuff. Way back at the beginning, yes. So he got to bring in Gotham and Gotham Girl. So he got there. He got his creative got some leeway, and he killed off a main character in Batman's um, uh, a family, a, but, a main character. But this isn't the first time Alfred's been killed. Is the first time it's been killed? What, what, no, no. Is the first time that I'm seeing long term ramifications, like well, moving on this way. Scott Snyder didn't kill a member of the Batman universe that I remember. That was no, like but that. he didn't. Yeah. But this isn't the first time Alfred's been killed in the comics, so either. I'm but, saying, but the gravity of this one's a little different, I'd say. But not just a one off killed for a couple issues type deal or Aunt May type thing. He didn't get to use other than War on Jokes and Reels, and that really wasn't even that great. He didn't get to use the the Rogues Gallery. That Batman has. He his entire run was pretty much Bane. So I wonder how much was set out in front of him. Not and I again I know nothing about this. This is all purely speculation. I wonder how much was set out in front of him when this transition took over and rebirth and rebirth came about. They said, This is what we want. This is our roadmap. Get us from point A to point B. This is who you got. Mm. This is who you can use. Go. Because his writing was very, his writing was very different, and it was very tame, and it was very kind of all over the place compared to his, you know, his work on Vision and, and even Miracle yeah, Mr. Man, Miracle, and Mr. Yeah. Miracle. You know, it's it it wasn't. I agree with you. It wasn't the Batman we're used to, but I can't say that it was forgettable because we he did give us Gotham Girl. He did kill Alfred, which is going to have lasting ramifications moving forward. He he married Selena Kyle and, and Bruce Wayne, so that's going to have lasting ramifications going forward. Where ten years from now, people might not remember his run, but they're going to remember these key events, which he, but then he, he contributed to. So, part of me wonders, and I would love to find out how much he was handcuffed and how much he had, how much leeway did he actually have? It's interesting. I, it is. I'm Jay. Yeah, definitely give a point, please. Well, you know, I think you may be onto something, Matt. I think um, maybe – so you're saying, you know, uh, DC is kind of like, okay, we had enough Joker with Snyder. You need to, you know, stay off of the Joker for a while and, you get, you know, you can get Bane and get Riddler and this is what you have to work with. Go. Well, um, I'm saying that because I know from, from other mediums, mediums and media outlets – the DC is very protective of the Batman's rogues gallery. There's characters mm. that, and they've even said during the crisis crossovers on the CW, there's characters that DC says you can't touch. You cannot use these characters. And they've, they pretty much flat out said Joker was one of them. Joker is one of those characters that you were said you can't touch. And now, especially <laughs> that that movie made a billion dollars, he's even more untouchable. So, yeah, Maybe you're right, and, but and look at Scott Snyder. Everything Scott Snyder writes, the Joker is somehow involved. His Batman run, he got two Joker stories out of that. DC Metal, he got the Batman who laughs, and don't tell me that's not a Joker eyes Batman. We all know that. Oh yeah. We that, um, last night on Earth, Joker is the new Robin. <coughs> Joker is basically his his lead. You know, he's got he's carrying Joker's head on with him for God's sakes. Hmm. I, I mean. I get it in a way. I'm not going to lie. That is an interesting thought. My thing is this. I still can't not, I can't give him a pass on the fact that for as 
long-winded as he was, as all over the place his writing was, he wrote as if he had 200 issues instead of 100 issues. Um, and then when it got reduced, he didn't change that. He jumped around even more. It didn't feel like there was a proper plan in place, in my opinion, aside from a few storylines like the ones we referenced. Also, aside from using the Joker, I get you being handcuffed and having to use certain people. I do get that. Maybe not to his fullest potential. But he didn't even use the characters he was given or assigned that way. There were so many different ways. I'm sure we could think of a couple just between us to develop Bane. Bane's been done in several iterations of Batman, way more capable, way more cunning. We know who that character is because we've seen it done in other iterations and other comic runs. And he did not give us that. In fact, he gave us, I don't know how he tamed Bane down, but he did, making him on par with Catwoman several different times. Flashpoint Batman with little motivation. I'm saying you can have a bad hand and you could take a hand and make a bad a bad deal with it. And that's what I feel Tom King did with the characters he had. I get not being able to use the Joker. Boo-hoo, Batman has one of the deepest Rose Galleries around. You could have used Mr. Freeze and developed him. You could have taken Bane and made another story onto that. You shook up the core a little bit with Gotham or could have developed that more. I mean, there were so many different ways. Gotham Girl came, saw, disappeared, came back at the very end. People have forgotten about her already. Oh, now she has a pill. I mean, the, the, the way that she was brought in, that concept of having her powers but using it more and more kills her a little bit. That could have been fleshed out so much more just because it's so interesting and, and having that kind of hero slash villain, you know, dealing with the loss of her brother in the universe of Batman, that could have been used more. I do not think that Tom King had it that bad. I just think that he was over his head and didn't realize all he had to work with. And, okay, you can't use Joker. And, oh, well, snap. Uh, we're going to use Bane. But, but then as much, he goes on, we're going to use Bane. How much of that falls on DC then? Because, you know, when they came out with Rebirth, they were like, all right, we're going to relaunch. We're not going to call it a reboot. We're not going to call it, a, you know, a rebranding or a, a reboot. We're going to call it a Rebirth. Relaunch, <laughs> new number ones. You're gonna or your books are gonna be weekly. Here's here's your roadmap. Give us the first hundred issues, and then over time it's changed. Well, now we're gonna go this, and then oh well, now you're not gonna get a full hundred issues. You're only gonna get eighty some issues, eighty four issues. So how much of that did he have to? I wonder how did he have to rearrange and try to change? And and it felt like it felt like at first he was doing some good stuff with Bane, and then towards the end it felt like he was getting rushed to where he went back to very. Fucking Bane. I shouldn't. Well, now we're definitely not family friendly, but um, <laughs> he went back to very old school Bane stuff where it's break Batman, break Batman, break Batman. And at some point, it almost feels like he was getting some outside force to add more stuff to the button in there with the callback to Flashpoint Batman and, and bringing him into it because, like, he kind of came out of nowhere and had really had no purpose in there. And it just. I I don't want to sit here and, and harp on on Tom King and be like you sucked at Batman. That's a you know you completely destroyed Batman. Your run absolutely sucked. Like the, to me, it feels like there's more at play that we're not getting. But I agree with you, and you're gonna get it from me here. I agree with you. His run for the most part was forgettable. He gives us some good stuff, but mostly it it, it is forgettable. It's not gonna be. When you go the when you talk about the echelon, the upper echelons of Batman runs, it, it's not even in the conversation. See, you say stuff like, you know, maybe maybe the 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 Bane storyline, you know, when they told him he had to chop his line, his, his run, um, 
that maybe that was a rush, but the 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 Selena Kyle thing, there were a lot of issues where you're sitting there going, what nothing happened. This entire issue was just them, you know, hanging out at the beach, you know, or it just seemed like it, it was it just that that storyline dragged. And I don't, you know, for somebody that should have used his, his, you know, the limited amount of story more wisely, man, because that, that, that whole Selena Kyle, that the whole uh, wedding thing was just, it dragged a lot. Well, I almost um, feel like that was supposed to be different. When you read it leading up to it, you feel like they were supposed to get married and that was supposed to be changed. And then, it feels like somebody came in and was like, wait a minute, we can't have them be married. Get this crap out of here. And at the end, he had to change it because then he's like, oh, well, now they're not married. But then he came back to it in the last issue and they were married and they're not married, but they're going to act like they're married. So it's like, it's almost like somebody came in and was like, you know, they, they snapped out of their fever dream and they're like, we can't have this crap. We can't have them be married. Go back to, go back to the way it was. And they, they're now pushing it back to to where they're together, but they're not married, you know? But one of the, the interesting things that, that Tom King does, it, you know, like we mentioned, Vision and Mr. Miracle, he'll take these lesser-known characters and make you care about them. He'll make something of them. And, you know, like Corbin was saying, yeah, so he didn't have Joker. But I think it, Tom King had the ability to take maybe another lesser known villain and make something out of it, something decent out of it. But it kind of seemed like he didn't even do that. And another thing that Corbin said, I thought was really interesting is that, you know, maybe a, a, a long run just isn't his style. You know, maybe there's some writers that work better when they're a little bit more confined to a 12 issue series when they can see the beginning and see the end and they can bounce off the walls and make something of it. But when they have, you know, 80 issues ahead of them, you know, sometimes it it's, you know, it's harder to work with like that for some well, people. I just, I just kind of wonder like, cause again, this came out of rebirth when DC went into rebirth, they had they had everything to gain. Like, they were playing Rebirth very, very cautiously. And that's kind of... Kyle and I went to WonderCon when they unveiled the Rebirth line. And I, I, I said to him when we went, I was like, they're playing this very, very cautiously. And they had to because they had so much writing on this being a success. And, yeah. and relaunching a success because they ruined their line by... Flashpoint was the last good thing that happened to DC. And then coming out of Flashpoint, you had the New 52. And that really didn't work the way they wanted it to. So they were like, we're going to reboot it with Rebirth and going to go back to Flashpoint and erase everything that happened in the New 52. And they had everything, you know, they, they had a lot riding on it. And their credibility was riding on it. So it almost feels like the, the handcuffs were on and like, this is what you got to work with. This is the stories we want. This is what you, you get us there. This is point A to point B, get us there. This is what you have to use. And they weren't going to give him the opportunity to, to take a chance or be bold or do 
crazy things. Like he had to play it safe and that's what he did. And now he's getting criticized for it because he had to play it safe. Hmm. Well, could be. I mean, I get you, man. I mean, I just can't fully go with that. I get what you mean. That's a great counterpoint and something to think about. I will give you credit that that's not something I've thought about. And you said it, Jay, there's some more nuance to this story for sure. Um, I just think he was low over his head and whatever he was given to work with, I think if you'd given other writers that same ability, I would have given Snot Snyder that same ability. Don't use Joker. I still would have been confident with the characters that he had that Tom King was given, they would have turned out a better story. Same with um, um, James Tenney the Fourth. I would have felt more confident with that. Um, I'd give it to several other writers that I feel could have taken that same, let's say, admittedly limited cast of characters and turned out a better product than Tom King did. So I'm with you on maybe that yeah. happening. And plus, we can go on DC for a while. DC's made so many issues. There's a reason I call him Dan Didier instead of Dan Didier. So, like, there, there's, there's, there's some things there that we can rag on DC. They definitely have a hand in it. There's no question about that, no doubt in my mind. However, I have to put some of that onus on Tom King. And when Batman is literally your main guy for DC, you have to have better than just, oh, it happened. Mind you, not everyone's going to be a great Batman writer. I understand that. But I'm saying from both sides. You mentioned the Batman-Catwoman marriage and DC maybe. And I think the same thing. They built <laughs> Lois and Clark, going to get married, going to get married. Oh, wait, no, we're going to kill Superman. Boom. You know, something. Like, okay, we're going to build this, we're going to build this. Oh, wait, we can't have them get married. I give that on DC. You're right. I do. Because the problem with that is that DC should, I mean, should have said, okay, you see this building. It was no surprise. Tom King was very clear about what he wanted when he started that project and how that was going. So you shouldn't have to pull a blame at the last second on that. At the same time, Tom King's continued reliance on inserting Catwoman in stories that she had no business being in just for the sake of having her and after the wedding, I put that all on him. Her um, reliance of knowing everything during the City of Bane storyline, coming to save Bruce at several different moments, I put that on him. The end of this, the way that it was resolved, oh, our love doesn't have to be cemented in marriage, I put that on him, especially when he has a series coming out with Batman and Catwoman. The way that was handled, that's on him, in my opinion. But I, I will say that we're going to look back. Even now, we're having, uh, I would say, a pretty interesting conversation about who's at fault here on a rather underwhelming run. And I think you're right. I, Matt, you kind of convinced me a little bit. I can't put all the blame on Tom King. And Jay, you said the same thing. And, and you know, it's, it's some nuance there. But... Bottom line, I think everyone had their hand in that pie, and I'm sorry the pie was a little sour. I just think that we're all pretty knowledgeable in comics. We've been reading comics for a long time. We we kind of you can kind of pick up on how these writers write based on other story they've written, and you can kind of tell when something isn't right. And and I just I feel like something has been a little off with Rebirth from the very beginning, and a, a lot of the Rebirth stories. And I think, like I said, they had it. They put a lot of eggs in one basket with rebirth because of how quickly they are to to be like oh this this title isn't doing that well pull it even if it's a good selling title oh it's not selling what we want to pull it you know it's just i don't know i just think they're they're being too knee-jerkish with it and i wouldn't be surprised if we see another reboot from the dc universe in the next three or four years oh yeah if that I'm, oh i'm sure i'm sure I'm going to say two years because at some point they're going to want to bring back Alfred. At some point they're going to want to undo this this stupid marriage between Batman and Catwoman. So they're just going to reboot everything and it's going to be like it never happened. So, but that that's I just wanted to give you your opportunity to talk and and kind of have that conversation because I know you've been chomping at the bit to have it. 
I appreciate that. Thank so, you. That was good. I think it was good. Therapeutic a little bit. So who's got another? Who's got the next book they want to they want to review here? Uh, I think it actually came back around to me when we started, which um, I'll gladly just pick up and go. It's um, Detective <laughs> Comic Ten Eighteen. So it was written by Peter J. Tomasi with art by Scott uh, Gadalewski. There you go. And David Barron on the colors. And you know what? This was an interesting book. Um, Again, I can't say enough how much I've enjoyed having um, the Detective Comics run just to be able to look back and kind of have a different look on Batman. In this one right now, Tomasi did a great job of Basically, showing Bruce after the fallout from Alfred's death and how he's kind of hanging with his dogs a lot. And and it's it, it's it, and showing more um, like a caring kind of personal side with the police and with Bullock. That's interesting. But you see Bruce is kind of coming to terms with the fact that, wow, you know, my confidant, the guy I go to for everything, he's, he's, he's gone, Alfred. And um, I think he's trying to fill that gap with his other support, you know, other people in his support system. There's no Robins in this one. You know, it's really just him and the police. And I thought that that was interesting to see him do that. Um, Also, though, there is the introduction, apparently, of a new villain who seems to be killing people um, through the use of, um, like, a ritual type of, of kill. And it's interesting because... I'm trying to look back just to make sure I remember. I don't. The, the name wasn't given, but when Bruce Wayne first comes on the scene, there it it, it it shows you know him nabbing some crooks, and then he gets a, a phone call and he goes, "Oh, um, I have six minutes approach." And one of the guys is like, "Approach, approach what?" And he's like, "Shush, I'm not talking to you. There's somewhere I need to be." And so he gets there just in time. He gets there home, and he gets home to Ace and Titus, his dogs. He's like told you i'd make it home just in time and it that moment and that's what i like about detective comics you're getting more of those human sides of bruce and it's really really kind of cool to see but back to the villain um who wasn't really told a whole lot of in this one to be honest with you um he's basically hacking people and kind of putting them into like the limbs and pieces of them into trees um like i said something of a ritual they're trying to figure out what it is batman is working heavily with harvey bullock in it while also dealing with that fallout from alfred and even says you know at one point where he throws the ball to to titus and alfred i mean titus and um ace he goes you know damn it alfred damn it all to hell like he's like exhausted emotionally and i love that detective comics has handled the emotional side of bruce wayne so well to the point that the villain who we see at the very end on the classic I'm about to attack Bruce Wayne. He's not paying attention. Next time, how the axe stole Christmas. Like, that is the exact, like, send-off. Knowing very little about who this new guy is, aside from being able to hack people up, he looks like some ancient mountain man. And it's all we're really left with. But that's fine. Because I didn't need that for this one. The action's fine. But I like these more human, slow-down stories where I get to see Bruce and Batman's state of mind. Bruce and Batman's interpersonal relationships with his dogs, in this case. With the police. With others that are not in this big, bad spectacle of a world that the normal Batman title runs. So I'm okay with it. I would give this a four out of five. Uh, there wasn't really much action to speak of, and that's fine. But the artwork was solid. Peter J. Tomasi has done an amazing job on Detective Comics. 
This was no exception. This is yet another title, the first being Batman Beyond, in which I know that I'm going to have a consistent, solid, and retaining story to keep coming back to on these alternate Batman titles. So for that, four to five. And you know what? A, a, a really kind of good story. You could see it starting a new storyline, and that's fine after the one-off that we had from Tomasi last issue. So let's lead into it. <coughs> deal with Batman and him overcoming the loss of his mentor, his father figure, you know, his real true friend. Yeah, man, I, I agree with you. I, I really liked um, this issue and I've been liking detective comics quite a bit. Like you said, it, the stories are a lot uh, more grounded on, on this. They're a lot more like organic and you can see the, um, like you said, exactly like the human side of Bruce Wayne and like you kind of get a little bit more of a feel of, of who he is. And, and instead of like, you know, the Batman, the, the Batman title where like the world is at, you know, is at risk and there are these huge grandiose stories. And then you got Detective Comics that's just, you know, there's re these really good um, uh, smaller scale stories and. So, yeah, I've, I liked it quite a bit. It's, gonna be, it's been fun, man. I'm glad you've enjoyed it as well. But you see that that love for that is good. And it's refreshing to see. And I don't expect it all to be handed the Batman title. That's fine. I'm not throwing that on anyone. But it's nice to have that backdrop, like you said. And it's really a nice change of pace. And and one I'm good with, actually. You know, I, I could keep going yeah. down as well. As long as the storylines are somewhat competent, keep giving it to me. Yeah. What would you guys, what's your rating on it? Oh, mine was a four out of five. Oh, you want me to rate it too? Well, yeah. I mean, if oh, you're okay. rating it. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I'll give it a four. I'll give it a four. It was a solid book. You, yeah. you can't really go wrong for, for solid titles. And like I said, and, and Jay's kind of agreed, it's been that way. It's been that way for a number of, of issues now. It's consistently been solid. And there's something to be said for that. Yeah. All right. What you got, Jay? Um, well, stepping down quite a bit. Um, I got the uh the new Hawkeye Freefall number one from Marvel. Um and uh, you know, we're talking about kind of like dopey artwork. <laughs> um so yeah, I usually if, if they're characters I'm mildly interested in, I'll I'll pick it up. Um, and especially if it's a, if it's a, uh, mini series, which this is, um, so the story is about, so it starts out with Hawkeye being like in this warehouse full of like a uh, henchman for this new, uh, villain called the hood. And so Hawkeye being who he is, um, doesn't doesn't want to let him go. So, you know, he follows him and, and cause he thinks he's, it's kind of like just some two bit gangster type guy, but he quickly finds out the hood is actually a lot more than, than he thought. He's actually like some kind of like demonic presence when he like tries to, you know, back him into a corner. And so there, there was that. And then, so okay, so then it, it, the story cuts into somebody using uh, uh, his old Ronin uniform to to kill people, and 
then Bucky and a uh, Falcon come and ask him about it. And, um, there was just, it, it, I don't know. Okay. So they, he asked him about it and he said, okay, well, we don't quite believe you, but whatever. And so Hawkeye takes him to where the hood is supposed to have like some deal go down. And sure enough, the guy with the Ronin armor's there. And basically I, I, I wasn't really impressed. I, I didn't, I thought the story was kind of choppy. Uh, it didn't flow very well. Um, the writing was mediocre. The storyline was kind of thin and the, the art was, you know, it was kind of dopey, a little clumsy and cartoony. Wasn't a big fan at all. I was kind of disappointed. Um, so I'm going to give it like a two out of five. Wow. Because at least I was able to get through it. You know? <laughs> at least it wasn't a chore to have to That's read one of those it. stories that I watched one of the Marvel previews about on, on Facebook. And it looked like the story itself looked interesting to me. Yeah. I, I, I kind of read about it in previews. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't look so bad. And then I picked it up. And I'm like, oh, boy. But, oh, well. I have- probably won't pick up issue two unless – it's a really slow week, <laughs> then maybe I will, but. All right. Well, I want to talk about one book that was uh, my pick of the week here, uh, which was Donnie Case's Thor number one. Either of you picked this up. Did you pick this up, Jay? Mm-hmm. Did you read it? Oh, yeah. Thor number one was my pick of the week. Um, you know, I was kind of skeptical. <coughs> Donnie Cates has been doing some good stuff with Venom and, and the other Silver Surfer Black and the other stories he's writing. So I was kind of skeptical about picking up a Thor book because I've never been a huge Thor fan. I don't know. He just never appealed to me. But, you know, this book this book kind of has a little bit of something for everyone. And I was really excited by it. And I can't wait for issue issue two. Um, basically, the book opens up. You see Molnir falling, flying through the seven realms. And it's just taking things out and... You see the Avengers fighting this giant monster in the city, and as they're getting ready to attack it, Molnir crashes through it, killing the monster. And Tony Stark and Iron Man, <laughs> or Tony Stark and Captain America, are sitting right there, and and they're looking at it. And, uh, and Tony asks, kind of funny, if anyone has a sharpie. And then it cuts to to Thor standing in um, Asgard, and he's got his hand outreached, like waiting for Molnir to come back, and then. Molnir kind of comes back to him, and you see uh, Tony Stark wrote on a nice shot, enjoy your retirement. So it picks up where Thor is now. He is the ruler of of Asgard. He is the king. He's taken his father's throne, and it's, it's cool that he's got his fa- his father's birds with him, the uh, ravens and or crows or whatever you want to call them. Um, and he's kind of like the protector of the seven realms now, and uh, and uh, all of a sudden, as he's sitting there talking to Loki, Galactus crashes into Asgard. And they're kind of wondering what's going on with Galactus and why he's there. And and Thor kind of starts to attack him. And then Galactus kind of reaches out and asks him to stop and tells him that there's there's a bigger threat coming. And that this threat is killing everything in its wake. And he needs Thor to help him. And... um. As it goes on, they're kind of talking and, and they're holding this council. He, Thor pretty much summons all of the Heralds of Galactus. 
and they're having this council meeting to talk about what's going on. And kind of as they're having this council, out of the wall comes Silver Surfer Black. And he kind of tells the story about how there's this greater threat that um, Galactus has faced twice in his life now. The first time when he was still mortal before he became the, the world eater. And, and this time where he just barely escaped with his life. And he's talking about how there's um, galaxies and planets that um, Galactus could devour that he kept hidden from him for a long time. That if he devoured them, it would give him ultimate power. And that in order to fight this being that's coming, they need Galactus at his strongest. And so they they make a plan that they're going to go to the one each one of these planets and kind of evacuate them. They're setting up a team to evacuate these planets for Galactus to consume them, but not destroy, not kill anybody, and consume them so that he can get his strength back to to fight this oncoming threat. And as they're going there to make that deal, Galactus kind of interrupts them. You know, they kind of explain the the plan to Galactus and. Galactus kind of interrupts him and says, no, we're not going to do that. He's like, this this entity has shown me my death. Or, you know, it's supposed to show you your death. And the first time I saw nothing. And this time I saw my, I saw my death at the hands of you, Thor. And he attacks Thor. He blasts Thor. And as he does, Silver Surfer kind of agrees. Silver Surfer Black kind of agrees to, to work for Galactus again, to become his herald again. And um, Galactus blasts Thor and Silver Surfer screams out in a rage and you kind of see Thor screaming and Galactus is like why did you do that? Or, no, not Galactus, sorry Silver Surfer's kind of like, why did you do that? And Galactus is like, well if I'm going to die and you're going to be my downfall, I want both of us at our, our best when we fight and finally meet and when the smoke clears there's Thor on his knees all supercharged and and he's very galactic, and he kind of looks like Silver Surfer Black. And uh, he's now a younger version of himself, which looks more powerful. And he is now a herald of Galactus. And that's where the uh, the book ends, issue one ends. So I thought it was a very interesting premise. Wow. You have, you have one of the biggest entities in Cosmic Marvel coming to Thor for help. You got to team up between three of the biggest entities in, in Marvel Comics, Thor, Silver Surfer, and Galactus. Um, so it's going to be real interesting to see what happens moving forward. And I, I really like the big long message that kind of a love letter Donny Cates wrote at the end of the book. I thought that was a really nice touch. Um, the little preview for the next issue, you see Galactus getting his hand blown off and stuff. It's I'm super excited to see where this goes. Um, bravo for Donny Cates for taking Thor and making him a book that I'm super interested to keep reading. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Thor number one a, uh, a four out of five. What did you think about it, Jay? <clears throat> I liked it too. And, you know, like you, these Thor books can either go, I'm either really bored by them or um, they're really great. Um, I, I, I really liked um, the Jane Austen Thor run from a couple years ago, a few years ago. Um, and I was so eager for Thor to come back. And I'm like, and you know, the last couple of, of uh, Thor ongoings have just kind of been mediocre. I think this is either the second or third time they've redone Thor 
in a matter of a few years. And this one actually looks pretty cool. Um, like you said, that it was it was really fast paced, and it was interesting to see Thor, you know, a, as the king of Asgard, and he didn't really like it. You know, no, he, was he kinda, did not look happy at all. No, he was bored, and he was like, you know, what am I supposed to do now? And so when this happened with Galactus, it almost seemed like he was happy to have something to do. You know, um, so it kind of like gave him a purpose again. It's like an adventure. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't know anything about this book. Um, I didn't read anything about it. I just picked it up and I was, I, it was, I was pleasantly surprised, especially by the, I had no idea it was going to end the way it did. Um, so yeah, four to five seems very fitting. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit and I'm definitely picking up issue two. It's been a while since I've been excited by a Thor book. Um, so that's it's exciting to me. It's, it's good news. I agree very much so, sir. That's good. That's good. Uh, what else you got, Corbin? I mean, we're kind of reaching here with a book I think, um, that happened during Christmas, but I just have the kind of vent about it. I'm reaching for it now just so I can hold it in my hands. I'm going to say for the people who are listening, audio version incoming um, <laughs> by Marvel. Um, what's coming? I don't know. Um, but you know what? Here's my problem with it. The story, I'm going to break it down to you. It is the Marvel preview <coughs> for this upcoming year. Here is the issue. I had to pay for this. $10 to be exact. Yeah. $10. For a preview book, but it's hidden. It's hidden under the guise of a story, a convoluted plot that you have to read through every page and see how it all ties together. You'll go from the planet follow, you know, to hours later in another place, and you'll run to all these characters. You'll see Venom, you'll see, you'll see Hulk, you'll see Captain Marvel, you'll see Nova, Black Panther. You're gonna run through all of this as the future begins here. Well, guess what? The future doesn't actually begin here, it begins in the page at the end of the book where they promo the different magazines that were comics, I'm sorry, that will be coming out from Fantastic Four 18 to Ghost Rider number four to Miles Morales number 14 to <coughs> Iron Man 2020 number one. And mind you, this goes on for, let me just count this for you just to help out. One, two. Isn't it? It's a lead up to Marvel's four, next five, big crossover event, right? Six pages, yes. But kind of? Not really. It's a lead off in name only. Okay, there's an event coming. That's awesome. This doesn't explain that to me. This is yeah. it has different plot threads, uh, putting that very lightly with different characters that I guess are going to spin off into their books. But this plot is paper thin, it meanders from, from one page to the other. And, and to hope some semblance of a story that doesn't get there, the artwork is kind of all over the place, which is kind of interesting, you know, kind of being just what it is, which I guess is a collaboration here. Um, they try to go for different tones depending on the different book and different characters. And it didn't work. It's like imagining um, Avengers Infinity War when they went from one world to the other and you already had each world had its identity based and its character. And you're like just going around a familiar tour with, with people that you've watched or, 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 or been with for a while. This was like that if it was done horribly wrong. I'm not a fan of comic companies doing this type of event book slash fart slash cash grab where they say, oh, this is something you have to get your hands on to understand what's happening. And you, don't, you don't have to get your hands on it because nothing here is happening in this book. It's a preview book 
that you had to pay for. And I think that's ridiculous. I like the premise of it, however. If Marvel's preview books were like this, where they said straight up, this is free. We're telling you what's going to come up in different issues. And we're going to spin this in a half kind of big story that you can at least read and have some benefit for. For not only seeing, okay, this is what the next books will be. This is something I might look on my pull list. But I'm going to get a page or two kind of semi-sample where I can look at it and go, okay, that's interesting. That I like. You can give it to me that way. You can break up the, the preview book mold instead of just having a list of books with the price and everything. I- incorporate that in the story. Tell a two-page spread of something. Then on the bottom, tell me the information I need to know for what book I'm going to be looking to pick up. But this trash right here, this ain't it, Chief. This ain't it. I do not like the fact that comic fans went to pay money for this and did not get a book. They got a preview. That's ridiculous, and Marvel has to do better. I, I agree, man. Um there are like 17 different creative teams doing one or two pages of this book. And so much of it didn't even need to be in there. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it was something that should have been given out on free comic book day. I um, would have taken that. Yes. And that would have been surprising for free comic book day. Yeah. I mean, if I would have gotten this for free, I'm like, Nice. But yeah, nine ninety nine. No, no. I I was I feel like I was taken. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, I fortunately they when they got me, I was unaware because I just grabbed my pull, you know, pulls and 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 went off with them, and then saw the price and was like, whoa, I wonder where that portion of my seventy bucks went to. And I realized ten bucks went to this crap. Yeah, you're right. Like, dang. But you had Donny Cates on this. You had Al Hewing. Al Ewing, Matthew Rosenberg, Dan Salat, Jonathan Hickman, Tim Howard. You had these guys on this. Um, and trust me, at the very end of it, just before you get to the previews, each one, each little team is given their proper credit along with each page that they worked on. Mm-hmm. And I could care less, honestly, at the end of it. it yeah, it's like it, it didn't even matter, mm-hmm. you know? So, but yeah. Wow. So, I'm, I'm, I mean, that came out, it's a little late. Uh, it came out um, on December poll, but I had it, and I wanted to make a note of this because it was ridiculous. I'm not even going to grade it, but since we are grading comics, I'm going to grade it as if it were a comic. I'm going to give it a zero out of five. Zero. (laughs) Ridiculous. Preposterous. A waste of my god dang time. I'm going to grade it and give me my money back, huh? Exactly. Exactly. I couldn't take this outside in the cold, make a fire, and benefit from it as much as I could with my money back from this god-forsaken book. say. That, that's my passion there. You don't give it to me like a comic book and expect me to review it like a comic book. There is no redeeming value from it unless you're a fan of some artwork by some of your favorite creators who wanted to get some cash grab. <coughs> well, okay. Speaking, kind of spinning out of your tirade there, um, I know we got a couple more books to review here. I know I've got Marauders and I'm sure Jay has a couple. But there's uh, there's one book I want to talk about real quick. I know it came out while we were on hiatus. Uh, but that's the the J.J. Abrams, uh, Henry Abrams Spider-Man book that's been out. Um, we're on issue three. What what are your thoughts so far on this this story, Jay? Um, the the first okay, first of all, the first issue, um, it it was kind of shocking, even though it's not, it's really not a. a in current Spider-Man continuity. 
this is kind of like a it's all like a little alternate yeah, universe it's a type thing. Us, yeah, world if you want story. And so, first issue, um, it showed uh, Mary Jane <clears throat> kind of well, pretty much getting killed. Well, um, not pretty much she got killed. Yeah, well, so did she though? That's that's what I'm wondering too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it from what we know on issue two, yes, she got killed, and her and Peter have a son named Ben, and so um, then it was pretty much just Ben and and an older Peter Parker, and and Peter, I guess, just got so emotionally distraught that he he's kind of like uh, isolating himself. Um, and he, he pretty much left his son Ben to be raised by Aunt May. And he's off doing his whatever he's doing, his, his work. Well, he gives and up so, Spider-Man. Gives up yeah, Spider-Man. Uh, and he, he after that incident, he becomes yeah. a full-time a photographer. Yeah. And um, his son grows up pretty much resenting him um, for his absence. And it's it's just – it's kind of dark and a little bit depressing. Um, I, li- I like the villain um, that they had in the uh, – what's his name? Cadaver or something. The, basically, the, the main villain in it is pretty cool, pretty cool bad guy. But the whole thing just is kind of like depressing. And this new issue number three, they introduced um, like a young – or a, a, not young – an old Tony Stark, and he's cut. He, he reminds me of like a like Richard Branson. If Richard Branson had, had like done way more LSD, kind of. Like he's, <laughs> he's like a nutty guy, and that kind of depressed me even more. <laughs> it's like, man, I don't like seeing these like these crapped out, burnt out versions of my favorite superheroes. You know. Um, and I, I'm not exactly sure if I even like Ben Parker. He, at this point, he, he kind of just seems really kind of whiny. Um, but it, it's it still got me going. I, I, I don't want to. I'm not going to drop it. It's it's good enough to to keep my attention. But it's kind of going in some dark places, um, and where I I, I don't feel like spider-man books have been in quite a while um what do you what do you think i'm look i'm loving it um are you i've loved it since issue one it's a from all of the boring just redundant spider-man stuff that's out there right now it is a fresh change of pace it's a nice different voice um (laughs) you know i love the the fact that peter's missing his hand and you don't you know like I, I'm more excited about wanting to know more about the world than technically uh-huh. the character, the Spider-Man character himself. Like, I want to know when you you read this issue, I want to know what killed the Avengers. What killed Hulk? What killed Captain America? What killed, you know, Black Widow? What killed these Avengers in this timeline? Why do they have a giant memoriam to them? Obviously, like, it was something horrific if they have a giant monument to them. Why is Tony Stark in hiding? Yeah. Why is he in a Why is he in a bunker under the ground? And all cooked in out. Exile. Yeah, all cooked out. And and why is um, Ironheart running Stark Industries? 
you know, like there's there's so much in this world. Like I feel like there's so much they can play with in this world, and I'm so excited by by the world that we're giving outside of the Spider-Man story. Yeah, and, I, I agree with you on that. Maybe, maybe that is what's keeping me going is, like you said, I, I do kind of want to know a little bit more about that world in general. Where, and like, it, it, it's interesting to see, like, you, you you understand that now that Peter's been bitten, he can pass on his, his spider abilities to his kids. And it's interesting, like, Ben finding that costume and Aunt May pushing him to take up that <coughs> kind of pushing him to take up that role, thinking that it's going to bring him and Peter closer and Peter not wanting him to do it. Yeah. And yeah. Just having this argument and this resentment and he kind of drops that resentment for his dad. Once, once his dad basically gets taken and in this issue, he gets stabbed right through the chest and you think like that Mary Jane did. Yeah. And you think that he's yeah. dead, but then it cuts to, cadaver's lab and he's like still alive and he needs them for something and now you have ben and, and all of them trying to to go and save peter and you know you you know that obviously tony stark he recognizes ben and you know they have some sort of connection to each other like he he's known ben he's met him somewhere in the past like there's so many things in this book that I'm just intrigued by. And I think it's the world that it's built outside of the main characters that that's got me super intrigued that there's a lot of questions I want to know more to. And especially at the end when like the cyborg, like zombie Thor and Hulk and Captain America, Black Widow, like, <coughs> cyborg Avengers rise up on the ground. Pretty much like everybody but Iron Man is represented of the, of the core Avengers team and they rise up out of the ground and, I just think that, like I said, the world building, the characters, the relationships, there's a lot there that that keeps me coming back. And, like, I've been intrigued since issue one, and I, I would love to see more from this world. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I like what you said about <clears> – I'll agree that as far as Spider-Man books, this one definitely has more um, – Hootspah. Yeah, it's got it's got more gravity to it. It's got more meat in it, and it's it's shocking. And it's, I want this meat now. What's that? I want this meat. Driving <laughs> it, little spice, little chunks, a little sauce. Yeah, I mean, meat the, on the bones. That cra the Craven uh, storyline from last year on Amazing Spider Man was was pretty good. But for the most part, it's just kind of been, you know, kind of like uh, kind of tame waters as far as a lot of the Spider-Man books are concerned. But yeah, this definitely shakes things up quite a bit. And there's there's parts like Matt was saying, it's 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 shocking. It's you're like what? And it's you just you want to it, it it's got more meat to it. It's got more teeth. Um, and that's that's pretty interesting. I'll definitely give it that. So, what do you think? What do you think to rate it? I mean, right now, for for the you know for the world itself, I mean, the stories that like just it just gets my mind running, and the stories that I think that could come rolling out of this, and the different takes on the, the Avengers that we've seen, and. And I want to see more with Ben Parker as Spider-Man. And I want to see him 
kind of come into his own story, <laughs> have his own rogues gallery and see where this goes. I want to know more in this world. I want to play in this world a little bit longer. I'm going to go four or five as a whole first three issues. Just the fact that I want, I keep coming back because I want to play in this world more through four or five. Nice. That's solid. I like it. Yeah. All right. I, I think I'll, I'll probably give it, uh, I'll probably give it a four. Um, I, I don't, I'm not as, I don't think I'm, a, I'm as in love with this world as you are, Matt, but it's still definitely intriguing. And it's still, like I said, it's got, out of all Spider-Man Todd right now, it's the one with most teeth. Um, so for that alone, uh, four out of five for me. Excellent. Yeah. Well that, but do you have uh, another book that you want to go over this week, Jay? Um, the only one I have is another, another kind of clunker for me as web of black widow. Um, that, Oh, actually, you know what? I don't even want, I don't want to talk about web black widow. I'd rather talk about star Wars. Number one, um, which was a little bit better. Um, it was written by <clears throat> Charles soul. So can you go, I mean, geez, Charles souls, Arguably, I mean, one of the best writers at Marvel right now. And so Star Wars number one, um, where the last the, the last run for the past few years was um, between uh, Star New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Now, this one is uh, between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Mm. So, and it takes like immediately after Empire Strikes Back. I mean, um, right when Vader and Luke are fighting and you know, Luke throws himself off into that pit and comes out underneath that building in Bespin and the Falcon comes and, and rescues him and they take off. And um, so I liked the book a lot. Um, the writing was was really, really good, of course. Art was really, really good. The only thing that I kind of didn't like is they all they kind of went over stuff that everyone already knows. Um, you know, uh, the, the, it was kind of funny because you know it showed the parts in the Falcon after um, on the ride away from Bespin. So Lando and Leia and Chewie and Luke were in the Falcon, and everybody's still giving Lando a bunch of crap for giving up Han Solo and no one like no one likes him. Everyone's just kind of like, you're a villain. Why are you hanging out with us? Why did you do this? You know? And they bring him back to the rebel fleet and he, he kind of starts to earn his keep, so to speak, but everyone is still kind of not trusting him uh, at all. And so that kind of seems interesting is I hope they, explore that a little bit more of how Lando actually gains their respect and their trust from being this guy that kind of screwed over Han Solo to the guy that, you know, helps rescue him. Um, so that the, those, that's why I liked the, these star Wars comics because they kind of take what we already know. And if it's done by a good writer, they'll, they'll, they'll go into in between the lines 
and explore that a little bit more and kind of give the characters a little bit more motivation, shines a little bit of light in the darker corners. And so far, I think that's that's what he's doing. That's what Charles Soule is doing. And I have faith in this guy because, he, like I said, he's a, he's a very good writer. And I hope he, I hope he stays on this book for a while. Um, and Star Wars number one, I'll, I'll also give a four out of five. And the only reason why I don't give it a 4.5 out of five is just because we kind of went over a lot of what we already saw in Empire Strikes Back. You know, um, I would have liked to have seen more of the of the parts that we didn't see. So, yeah, Star Wars number one. It's pretty good. Pretty good so far. I'm excited. I was going to say that had me intrigued as far as the setting of that, going back and fleshing out that universe, like you were saying, instead of going on a whole new direction, which they probably were kind of hamstrung from to begin with, just given where they are in the movie franchise and everything. But really good that there's plenty of gaps that can yeah. be filled out. And to start there <laughs> gives you plenty of a timetable to continue moving forward while answering a lot of questions that Star Wars fans have had for a while, more than likely, and some that they hadn't they probably had and, and, and just came to light. So that's really, really good. I'm glad you reviewed that book. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's kind of it, it answers questions you didn't know you had. Kind of thing. Yeah, that's how you said yes, exactly. And I get that. I do. Questions you didn't know you had. Matt is delirious. <laughs> Too much Nike will. I'm about to say, good thing I'm out of books. <laughs> You're out of books, Corbin? Yes, sir. All right. Well, then the last book I have for this week is going to be um, Marauders. Number five, Jay. Did you read Marauders? I I did, but I kind of don't remember it very well. Um. So in this issue of Marauders, you kind of have uh, you have Emma Frost's brother, kind of talking. Him and Iceman are kind of showing off to each other at the beginning of the book, and they basically the the send <clears throat> to sum this book up. They get a distressed <laughs> a distressed a distress. I can't talk. A distress signal from another ship. Some ships are being attacked, and they get a distress signal from a ship. So the um, the Marauders go to to check it out, and it's it's from Sebastian Shaw's son ship. Um, what the hell is the son's name? Shinobi. Shinobi Shaw's son's yeah. Shinobi Shaw's ship. That's a that's a tongue twister right there. <laughs> Shinobi Shaw's ship. Um. And so they go to check it out, and as they do so, they find themselves in a trap where they're being attacked by by anti-mutant, by an army of Russians that are made up of anti-mutant weapons. And they try to ram the, the Marauder, and as they're ramming the ship, Kitty Pride kind of phases her boat through their boat and everything. And it, it kind of ends with, with them being attacked. Um... It kind of ends with them being attacked and a new a new villain making his his debut. I'm not really sure what they call him, um, but he's he's kind of he kind of takes out he pretty much takes out uh, Iceman as they like board a ship. They're like prepared to be bored, and then this these group of like people in this anti mutant gear attack the ship and. They take out Iceman. I mean, that's that's about my quick rundown on this this book. I'm gonna give this issue of Marauders uh, a two five because 
you know, it was forgettable. It was literally forgettable. And Marauders has been one of my favorite X titles. And it, to, to say this issue was forgettable is, is a lot for a book that was one of the, that started off so hot, was hot for two issues, then fluttered out, gained steam again, and now it's like fluttering out again. So we'll see how it goes going forward. I'm not ready to bail on it yet by any means. I'm still interested to see where it goes. It had some cool moments where you saw, you know, just when you think Kitty Pride is is at her most vulnerable and they don't that's the thing they don't know if if they can rejuvenate Kitty Pride if she dies because they she can't get into Krakoa. That was an interesting concept. So, yeah. Um but it still shows that Kitty Pride is still a badass and she deserves her credit where credit is due because she phases the ship through hers. And you know, yeah, that, was she's a cool, still, that was a cool panel. She's still a gangster, you know. The guy at the very end is executioner. He's like oh, he's a is. long yeah, he's a longtime X-Men villain. He's like a mutant killer. And he like all his weapons and stuff, he he like Is that the dude in the hood? Yeah, that's like beaten on Iceman at the very end. Okay. Interesting. So why not? Okay. Yeah, but yeah, I agree with you, man. I I I read this and I couldn't remember much of it at all. But I mean, I guess they can't all be golden, right? Right? They can't all be golden. No, I was gonna get all <laughs> So what did I give this? Two five. I think two five is fair. Ooh. All right. I I I probably gave it a little bit more. Maybe like a just because it's X-Men and it didn't it was a little bit boring, but it wasn't awful. I, I give it a three. So you give it a three? Yeah. Executioner is a pretty cool villain, so hopefully more comes of that. Well, because they don't address him in in the in the pages, so I'm like, right. I know the villain. I just I was like, I I don't know, but it just it was forgettable, man. It was out of all the books I read, it was like the one that I just I don't know. I just obviously didn't care for it. So it was the Tom King book today. Huh? Oh my god! <laughs> well, I don't know. That might have been the the. Can I sell you a body? Oh, it's like one of those. That may have gotten the Tom King Award of the week. Gotcha. <laughs> You're a mess. That's so sad. Dude. Tom right. King is like a hundred times more a writer than I am. I shouldn't even talk crap. But no, what's funny is that you're right, and yet here I am. No, that's the but, thing is that it, on the internet, everyone's got a voice. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's our goal to try to get that out. So here we are. But I think you're right. Like, it's funny how everyone, if we're going to look at it like introspective, <laughs> how me, you know, not having a writing book in my body, I'm a big reader, not so much a writer, can even speak on, wow, this isn't really good. You're not a great writer, as if I know what that entails. But then again, the same people think that he's a good writer. You know, it's, it's really weird how that whole conundrum comes up. But I do want to give Jason credit because I think we do have something now the Tom King Award. <laughs> oh my god we have to keep have to make that a thing now here on the um on tales from the spinner rack it's a thing now i'm a, I'm a each of us have to come up with a book well we don't have to i think it's more authentic if we don't but we have to nominate the tom king award we have to it's done thank you not corbin thank you oh man you know tom king used to be the cia so now he's gonna yeah, come right? and like, have my family killed he's gonna have a put out on corbin <laughs> He's putting it on, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm anonymous enough. I'm, 
I'm hacker. I'm not even put my name anymore. Hey, if uh, if I don't, if you don't hear from me for like a week, then you guys need to just move out of the country and don't tell anybody where you're going. Lance has got you tied up in his basement. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to say that's that's probably the more pressing concern. No, I'm fine. Right next to Max, you and Lance are holding hands at the theater while Max <laughs> is in the middle. So, is anybody excited for any books coming out uh, tomorrow? You know, I haven't even looked at oh, the list comes to out look. tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, we got Amazing Spider-Man, Captain Marvel, um, Mary Jane. You got Excalibur, Fallen Angels, Ghost Rider, Mortal Hulk. Um, got a bunch of stuff. New Mutants, uh, Spider-Man. Yeah, definitely not going to uh, go with that. Yeah, I mean, for me, Batman 86, obviously. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. We got definitely got to talk about that. Uh, I'll wait to do that. Um, Batman The Outsiders. Um, Batman by Neil Adams. You have uh, Dollhouse Family. If people are reading that, I really got to get into that. Um, not that's that's kind of it for me. What I'm excited for. Oh, twenty um, XX number two comes out tomorrow. Oh wow! Didn't even see that. There you go. Um, some trades and stuff. Oh, they have a giant. I'm not a sucker for those uh those giants. Aquaman giant number two. Okay. Um, doesn't uh X come out? The new Marvel X come out tomorrow too. Does it? Uh, I think Marvel X comes out tomorrow. Yeah, number one. Yep. Got a bunch of alternates. One by Alex Ross. You got Avengers Thor. They're all by Alex Ross. They should all be out. He's the artist for them. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at the wrong one. Yeah. No. uh, Cover. Yeah. Steve Ditko, Hidden Gem variant. Well, I'm sure Uh, they've got the the homages, but I'm just saying, like, he's the the artist in the book. So No, I got that. Venom 22. Yeah, there's going to be a bunch of Interesting things. I think we'll have a lot of good reads uh, come next week. Yeah, my wallet is crying already. Yeah, payday's tomorrow. I'm trying to hit the pain real quick before it even realizes it. Boom, we're done. Take that hit, keep it moving because you're right. We're gonna be feeling it. My wallet is crying already. <laughs> so, if there's any local comic shops in the Phoenix area that listen to us, I want to sponsor us and let us read their books ahead of time. You know, hit us up because my wallet is crying. We're here. Yeah. We're available. We love talking comics, and we want to go to a store near you. Yeah. Actually, no, we don't want to go to your store. So, and uh, shameless, very many shameless plugs. We can do as many as yeah. you want. Oh, all day. I'm the king of that. My name is Barbarian. We can all wear the t-shirts, Look, you know. Follow my mouse cursor. All this area here around, around Jay, that, that can all be <laughs> have have your logos all over it. Mm-hmm. You pretty much just have my whole picture, just the logo. Hey, I would promos, all of see it, a little so. a little box for Jay's face. <laughs> Find us. Send an email out. Matt, where where can they reach us? You can reach us at um well right now it's just absolutegeekpodcast at gmail.com. Huh? Um, you can actually you can even get us at Tales from the Spinner Rack at gmail.com. Um you can find us there too. But there uh but yeah, so a lot of great books that we discussed. Looking forward to next week. Um, happy to be back. Sorry we, we took such a long hiatus. But, you know, Christmas Eve fell on a Tuesday. Then we all kind of got sick one right after another. I'm still sick. You can hear it in my voice. So I definitely, I'm glad to be back. And hopefully we can be back here every Tuesday night reviewing these comics for you. Letting you know what's coming out the next day. Um, God, if you're in the chat or you're watching this in the playback, and you want to be the part of the discussion, best way to do it is join us Tuesday nights in the chat or leave a comment down below <laughs> on the video. And I go through each comment and we'll, we'll answer them. And 
uh, we'll have a good time here. That's what this show is all about. And it's about spreading our love for the comic book industry and, and the weekly readers. So for this week's episode of Tales from the Spinner Rack. Oh, actually, I want to say, um, guys, if you like what you heard tonight, make sure to hit that like and subscribe button. Smash that notification bell so you know when we go live every Tuesday night. Um, and uh, make sure to follow us on social media um, and all that good stuff. So, yeah, for this week's episode of Tales from the Spinner Rack, I'm Matt. I'm Jay. And I'm Corbin. Saying remember to support your local comic shop, keep them bagged and boarded, and we'll see you guys next week.